0: Keep on keeping that what you love, you'll find that someday, soon enough, you will
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Tyler, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing well. How are you today?
1: I am doing lovely, my friend. It is so nice to have you here today. I'm so pumped to talk about you, your story, and all the awesomeness that you're up to in the world. You know, I always start off with the most complicated question, kind of. Some people love it, some people hate it. So here it is. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend?
0: Oh, I I have constant inspiration. My mother has been an inspiration since I was little. My father passed away at six years old and watching her raise me and my sister from the time I was six and my sister was two has been a constant and a light in my life how gracefully she handles pressure and the fact that I managed to grow up never feeling lack I didn't want for anything and that could not have been easy for her to do it and looking back I to this day still don't know how she did and my wife is incredible And she inspires me hourly, if not daily. Her drive and determination to be the best version of herself pushes me to be the best version of myself. And now that we have our daughter, who's six years old, she is a shining beacon for me and definitely home for me. So she is my grounding and my lightning rod and pushes me to be better. So I am never without inspiration. I I only need to look two feet to my right or to my left. And I am inspired by what's going on.
1: That is incredible. I love that. I love that. I love how you share that. Thank you so much. I mean, so it looks like you're just surrounded by inspiration from day one. And you grew up with a strong mom. I mean, the fact that you never felt lack or anything like that. I mean, that means she put everything on the line for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, the sacrifices that my mom made and continues to make family comes first for her. And, you know, my goal is now to be able to give back even a 10th of what she sacrificed and gave so that I could be in the position that I am to give back the way that I can. So yeah, she's incredible. And I think if the world had more of my mom, (laughs) it would be a much better place. That's
1: incredible. That's incredible. So you got a lot of the source of inspiration from her, which is unbelievable. Now let me ask you, Tyler, what did you want to be when you grew up as a kid? Like what were your dreams?
0: Oh, I I mean, (laughs) I think like most kids, especially young boys, from a very early age, I wanted to be a pilot, airplane pilot. And like I had wallpaper that had old biplanes and uh, prop planes, even like old Mustangs, like Spitfires and stuff like that. I just, I love and still do love planes. Pilot was definitely up there. And then, you know, I'm sure I went through a firefighter phase because everybody goes through a firefighter phase. When I was in my early tweens and early teens, I actually wanted to be a marine biologist and not sure why that became a thing. I was really obsessed with sharks. Like I read Jaws, the actual novel before I ever saw the movie, was fascinated by the first movie, loved the novel, loved the second novel too. And I just, I was fascinated with marine life and particularly uh, sharks and and specifically great white sharks. So I, that kind of made me want to explore the ocean. And uh, I used to watch like all the Jacques Cousteau documentaries and stuff like that. Like I just, I was fascinated with it. And I don't know when that kind of dissipated. And it was funny too, because I started in theater acting at six years old and I never, that was never really the goal. I always wanted to do these other things and acting was just a thing that I did because it was fun to do and I got to play dress up and then about 15 that took over and ever since all I wanted to do was be an actor and a performer
1: that is awesome that is awesome I love the trajectory of all the different things that that you went through as a kid I wanted to be so many things honestly and I knew I think at one point it was Britney Spears and that (laughs) obviously that dream did not follow through right But the same thing, kind of like in the performing arts stuff. And then I was thinking about science and then I like took science classes and I was like, hell no, this is not going to happen. You know, (laughs) this is interesting as a kid. That's awesome. That is awesome. And your number one inspiration basically has been your mom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mom all the way. And she's and uh, the funny thing is she's always been encouraging. You know, she signed me up for a fine arts high school. I even remember the first year that I was in the school. So the 10th grade, they actually did have like a seminar on marine biology that she got me into. And I think that might've been that kind of transition point because it was, I stopped being as fascinated by it, but there was a, a recruiter that had come out, I believe from the university of British Columbia. Wow. And ironically, my cousin actually ended up, I don't know if she went to UBC, but she ended up moving out to the West coast of Canada and becoming a marine biologist herself. And I always, I've always, i always thought that funny. It was this goal, 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 goal for me. And then I was like, meh, I'll go act. We both ended up on the West Coast and she ended up doing the marine biology and I obviously did the performance. So that's been, that was interesting anyways.
1: That is unbelievable. So it was a walk me through kind of like your, your early years. So you talked about you entered high school into performing arts school, yeah?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: What was that like? What was that experience like?
0: It was really cool. I mean, if anybody has ever seen the movie or the TV series Fame, it was fame. Most of my day was spent singing, acting, or dancing, uh, or a combination of the three. And we were on what is commonly referred to as the Copernicus system, which is a quarter system. So most schools, right, are on semesters. So you have four or five classes a day for half a year. And then you do another four or five classes for the second half of the year, we were split into quarters. So for what would be 10 weeks, we would do two classes a day. So your first class was like nine to noon. And then your second class was like 1230 to four. And if you got a spare, (laughs) you're off the whole half a day or the whole right either the morning or the afternoon and for us in the fine arts program if you were enrolled in the main stage program you always got a spare in the morning of the third quarter because we would run the performance in april and most of the rehearsals got heavy in and around that february march april time so We'd be up until, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning at the school running tech rehearsals and dress rehearsals and full amalgs and, T. Amalg and all the rest of it. It was a really fast pace and, and quite exhausting, <laughs> frankly. But it was a, an amazing time for me because, you know, I was acting professionally. I was starting to get into film and television at that point. I was going to the fine arts high school. And it's weird because as a drama geek, normally you're, <laughs> you're kind of the low of the end of the pecking order. But when you go to a fine arts high school and you're one of the lead performers, <laughs> you're like king of the hill. I never knew I was a geek until I got out of school. And then at that point, it didn't matter because you know, you're out of school. And then I went on to act professionally for another seven years. I think I retired at 25, 26. So it was really cool. A lot of people look back on their high school, my wife included. And they're like, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I was so glad it was done. And if given the chance, I'd never do it again. I'm the exact opposite. I love it. I'm still in touch with like, we had a core group of friends that went through the program together. And there's about 20 to 25 of us. And we are in constant contact. And many of us don't even live in the same province, state, country. You know, a few of us, buddy of mine, Greg, he's in Thailand right now. Got a couple of guys who are scattered all around the world. And we're still in touch, like regularly. And I know every time I'm over in Thailand, Greg's the first call that I make. And then my buddy Jason's the second.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's great that you were able to connect those bonds. And what's really cool is, you know, that's what you wanted to be when you grew up. Yeah. So like you made it happen, which is so, so cool.
0: Well, and the beautiful thing about it is particularly when you're in the arts, right? There's a lot of exploration of self to begin with.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it really allowed me to know who I was. Like I've had a very core understanding of who I am as a human being. For a very long time which i i think a lot of people don't have for me what was a typical experience is not typical for most people Mm. and i constantly have to remind myself that a not everybody went to a fine arts high school uh b not everybody was exposed to the kind of different thoughts Mm. and different doctrines that i was able to look through not everybody has had the chance to explore explore themselves as a human being and then as a character and really explore human emotions the way that I was exposed to at six years old and really got to delve deep into in my formative years in my teens. And particularly being on stage and being vulnerable like that at a very early age, at a very influential age, there's no wonder that the bonds that we formed as friends on that stage and in that program have lasted as long as they have because they're entrenched in my DNA now.
1: That's incredible. I just love the, the various experiences. And like you just said, I mean, every, that bond, I mean, I've never heard of a high school gang sticking together that powerfully ever. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah.
0: Interesting thing is, is from that core group, we have some incredible high achievers. I know a good friend of mine, Alec Harrison, I don't know if he won or if he was nominated. He's a composer. And so he was in the band when we were because we'd always do musicals and he would do the keyboards and everybody just knew Alec was Alec. I mean, he was he was always a savant on the keyboard anyways. And it was no wonder when he went on to create basically his own music studio and compose music for various different either film or commercials or, you know, documentaries. And he's done a lot of stuff. And Danny Trejo, who is like really famous as the actor who portrays Machete in in the films, Rob Rodriguez basically made Danny Trejo a household name. He has a documentary on him called prisoner number one and my buddy Alec composed the music for it and it was it's hilarious to like you know you turn it on and you see your friend's name flash across the screen and same with my uh, buddy Dave McGowan he's still acting in Vancouver regularly I'm I was acting for a long time we've had some amazing guys go through that program that are run their own video game companies and the number of high achievers that came out of that program is astonishing all of the people that I went to school with are doing really well. And that's the other thing, you know, like you hear about these high school reunions and, Oh, you know, Tommy, he got fat and Debbie's twice divorced with seven kids or whatever it is. I, we don't have that. We've got people who are just solid citizens, amazing human beings. And even the ones who have been married and divorced have divorced in some of the most amicable ways. Like (laughs) my one friend he he i'd never heard of it before it was nesting so when him and his wife split up they had just they literally came to an agreement they're like you know this isn't working we're probably better off as friends we don't want to do a disruption to the children so you are going we together are going to find different houses but this will be the communal house this will be the house that we raise our children in and then on the days where you have them you're at the house on the days where I have them, I'm at the house. And on the days that we don't have them, we go to our residences so that the children don't split up. And when I was like, why not do that? So I, like I said, I just, you know, I am proud of everyone that I went to school with, without exception. And I am blessed to have them considered friends.
1: That's incredible. There's a specific type of energy there, which I think is really, really cool. I mean, you all supported each other and, It seems like everyone's been able to stay true to who they are. And because of that, be successful in their life. I really believe like when you're connected to your higher self of who you truly are deep down, you know, like there's no losing, right? Like you all supported each other. And so it makes, it makes total sense, you know?
0: Well, I think one of the keys to being connected to your higher self is knowing who you are at the core before you can rise. You kind of need to do the, the work in the depths. And that was one of the great gifts that I got from that school was being able to do that internal work. Like, who are you? What makes you tick? And if that makes you tick now, who is this character and what would make them tick? And what traits do you share with that character that you can draw upon? One of the great lessons that I learned in theater and was reinforced when I worked with Dr. John D. Martini, And then again, when I've gone and studied with uh, Tony Robbins and, and men like that was the fact that, you know, we are not a thing as human beings. We all have these characteristics. We all have these traits. And at any given time, we can be bad and good at the same time, or we can be, you know, uh, jealous or supportive. And like, we we've all experienced these emotions. Yeah. Uh, They're not unique to old oh, that that person over there is like that. No, no, no. I've felt that way too. And to when you can start realizing that we've all felt the ways that we have we've all done things we probably shouldn't we've all done things that we should we've all not done things that we shouldn't do and we've all not done things that we should have done like we've all experienced the human condition together yeah. and we are not we are unique individuals but our reactions and our emotions are not unique unto us they are universal truths and being able to tap into that and realize that i can connect you know i had to play oh just the most horrible horrible character in a true crime drama called Sex, Lies and Murder. And the guy, he did horrible things, absolutely horrible things. But I understood, I could empathize with the character from a father standpoint. So this character that I played was married, very violent towards his spouse. they got married very young. He was slightly older and she was like, just, just barely 18. I think he was like 22, 23. They had a daughter- Gave her up for adoption. 18 years later, the daughter reconnects with the father. They meet online somehow. The daughter comes. They invite her back into the family to kind of reconnect. Her adoptive parents are supportive of it because they want her to connect with the family. So she leaves her adoptive home, comes back into her birth parents' house. The father and her end up striking up a very inappropriate incestual relationship. She gets pregnant. They have the kid. They try to get married, which is illegal, and so an, an arrest warrant goes out for them. And because this father does not want to lose his family, he ends up killing the daughter, her adoptive father, their son, the son that the father and her had together, and then himself, after phoning his mom to say that, his mom needs to send the police to his house where they will find his dead son and that they, uh, you know, that he's done these horrible things. I am the polar opposite of that. Wow! But I could find within that character what that motivating driving factor is, right? It was an inappropriate relationship, but he really, I think truly loved, I hope, I hope I have to believe, cause that's how I played it, that he actually really did love, his daughter and their child, because you had to come from a place of love for that. I can't imagine that it would have come from a place of hate. And so you have to understand that. And you have to understand the despair, right? He thinks that everything's being taken away. His wife is as phone the cops on him because he's doing things that he shouldn't do. And and he thinks that he's going to lose it all. And the only solution that he sees is this one way out, horrible as it is. Mm -hmm. I still had to connect with that. He's not a good guy, but I could find connection within it because I know what would motivate me. And I it was one of those, well, what would life have to deal me for me to make those same decisions? Mm. Right. And it's when, and that it's that character exploration, because I can't say that I would make the same choices, but I definitely understand the desperation mm. that would make me make poor ones.
1: Right. That's super cool. I mean, that's just fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, different ways that you can connect with characters and within the self. And it's just, it's really interesting because I always, I, I do look at actors sometimes and I'm like, mm, like, how the hell can they play that role? You know what I mean? Like you just, it's just a, it's a really cool thing to hear it from in, in that perspective. It's super, super cool. And you were sure. acting for a while too, Tyler. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: No, for so. a, for a long, long while. So from six to 25, it was basically, that's how I made money. And then at 25, I kind of got bored and jaded with the craft. It had become a job like before it was just fun. Yeah. Right. Growing up, it's fun. And even the first couple of years I was in Vancouver and acting, it was fun. Like, how cool is this? I'm making money, living in downtown Vancouver in the West End. I have an apartment that overlooks the beach. Like I was living the lifestyle. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Awesome. But then, you know, it started to become a grind. Oh, I got to pay the rent. And you got to, I got to go to this audition and got to do this workshop, got to do the scene study, got to do this networking, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. And I had kind of, I'd gotten so complacent with it. Like, I still remember the day I decided to retire. I had gone to an audition and at this point I had moved away from the West End. I had a girlfriend and she had a a wonderful son and to be closer to him because he stayed with his grandparents most of the time. And then we lived at her parents' place and it was in Penticton, which is three hours inland from the coast of Vancouver. And, you know, it was a great situation. Penticton is a beautiful place to be. And especially when you're an actor and you're only working three, five, 10 days a month, you know, you go in, you do your work, you come back out. And I'd gone for an audition. It was a big show. I'm almost positive it was Scary Movie 3. And I'd gone in, done the audition, was on my way back. I was almost out of cell reception because the Penticton's in the mountains. And my agent phoned and said, they want to see you back for a callback. And normally callbacks are like two days, three days, a week later. And I was like, okay, when? She's like in an hour. And I'm like an hour and a half away from the studio. (laughs) It's like, I I can't make it back. She's like, well, just get there when you can get there. And I was literally at this point where I'm about to lose cell reception. And I'm one exit away from not being able to turn around for almost 45 minutes. And I remember in that moment, not wanting to go back for a callback. And there are tens of thousands of actors who would pay just for the chance to have an audition, let alone a callback. And here I was so complacent and so jaded with the industry that I was like, oh, this is going to interrupt my drive and I just want to get home. You know, I just want to get home. At that point, I knew that something needed to change. I either needed to reignite my passion for it or I needed to step away. And I chose to step away, which ironically then ignited my passion for it being able to step away. And I actually ended up like moving altogether. I moved out to Toronto, stopped acting for almost a decade, really didn't get back into it until my daughter was born. And cause she was so cute. I know every parent says that my daughter legitimately is a model. So I know that she's cute. She's been on film and television since she was 11 months old. You know, when she was born, I set her up with an agent and then having to take her to set and having to take her to auditions, my agent kept saying, they need somebody to play her dad. How about, so it just, it started as a commercial. I got to be my daughter's dad (laughs) on film a couple of times. And then, and then it was just so much fun being on set again. And now I can do it on my own terms, right? I think what made it hard before was if I didn't get the gig, I didn't pay my rent. I didn't eat. I remember there was a point in around 2003 where I was crushing it and was homeless at the same time. You know, that is, that's such a weird place to be at where you're getting all of these jobs, but the money hasn't come in yet. And you've been kicked out of your house and you're running out of places to couch surf, you know? And I I remember for a week and I was so thankful to be on the West Coast where the climate is nice and have it, you know, late spring, early summer, because I slept on on a few park benches for a week of my life and I never want to go back. But again, that, you know, you need those rock bottom moments to realize what you need to do.
1: Right. My goodness. And so you you said something really interesting where maybe to the world, it looked like you were crushing it. But deep down there was this going on. Yeah. How did, you, how did you move past that? How did you stay motivated in that moment?
0: I mean, a park bench is remarkably motivating. <laughs> I remember probably about the third day, fourth day in, it was raining. I'd stolen a jacket from a friend's house from his roommate because it was uh, waterproof. And I didn't have a waterproof jacket. So I'd kind of lifted it from the closet you know, after saying goodnight because they'd said I couldn't crash on the couch. So I was like, all right, I'll go find another place, whatever and uh, lifted this jacket, it was raining, and there were these two guys who were beh- came kind of behind me, I was down along the beach area uh, in the West End of Vancouver, and I could hear them talking about trying to figure out if I was asleep or awake or what my deal was, and the things they wanted to do to me, and uh, I did not want them to do said things, so I just kept my eyes shut, hoping that they would just go away, which luckily they did, and, um, right at that point I was like, I, I don't care what my pride is doing. I'm going to find a place and reach out to my buddy, Dave, and he couldn't help out. Cause he was uh, doing pilot season down in LA and his roommate was like, no, nah, I'm not having that guy come. And then, you know, complete act of desperation phoned my buddy, Matt and his mom, uh, heard us on the phone and she's like, where is he? Where's Tyler? I'll go get him. And she drove down from the North shore, picked me up and brought me home and fed me and let me have a shower. And I will forever and a day be thankful to that woman. There's absolutely no way that I can pay her back. Uh, I will try for a thousand years if I can. And Matt, he's a good kid. He's actually in New York right now working for, he was working for Marvel and I don't think he's working for Marvel anymore, but he does, uh, he's in production there and doing really good for himself. So pretty proud of him.
1: That's unbelievable. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. And I mean, honestly, wow, like and, and to see, but see, the thing is like, right, looking at you and you sharing your story and everything that you're up to and like your successes and all that. I'm, I would never I, I would put a million bucks on it. I'm like, nah, that didn't happen to Tyler. There's no way.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And that's what's so remarkable. And thank you so much for sharing that, because you just <laughs> the journey is never easy. It really never, never, never is. And like situations like this do come up, but nobody really talks about it. Right.
0: Yeah. No. And again, I'm grateful and blessed because it was a, it was a reminder that everyone needs help. Like I look at even, you know, I say that I have no idea how my mom did it. I, and I, to this day, I mean, legitimately don't, but I do know that she had a whole hell of a lot of help. You know we had an entire community rally around us one of the nice things about growing up in rural alberta and it's a particularly small town everybody knows everybody and you know good christian community everybody helps each other and my mom was no exception you know we had a lot of people rise up and and reach out and and help her and you know it takes a village to raise a kid we had an entire town and staying with matt and his mom it was a, another reminder of you know there's nothing wrong with asking for help yeah no. and most people are very willing to give it, provided you don't take advantage of it. Right. You know, if you're grateful for what's doing, like Mrs. McKinnis, she didn't even, she didn't even blink. She let me stay there. I think I ended up crashing, literally sleeping on the floor beside Matt's bed for like three months, wow. you know, just until I could get my, my feet under my ground, under me. And, and, and like I said, I was working like during that time, I was working a lot. It's just the checks didn't come in. And part of the problem was too the checks would come in, but the one agent that I had. So I had a background agent who would get me my stand-in work and my extra work and photo double work and stuff like that. And I had my principal agent who would get me the acting gigs where you actually get your name and your credit. And the acting gigs were few and far between, but the I was doing really good as a stand-in and a photo double. But the one agent you had to pay your commission to get your check. And I was making two, three, four thousand $4,000 a week. I didn't even have 20 bucks to give her. And so I had to wait until I got my principal gig so that I could get that money. And so then I had to film the, the show, get that money in and then go and get my checks from my extra agency. You feel like a baller though, when you know, you've gone from park bench to 40K in your bank account <laughs> 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 because you got... You got the one gig that (laughs) that got your checks out of jail. (laughs) And and it was, you know, and then it was great because I could, I could go back and get the apartment and, and be really wise with my money too. Like it taught me some great lessons on budgeting, which I'd already learned from my mom, but it kind of, I was like, I've always had an emergency fund after that. I was like, this is, I get stressed out when I have less than five figures in my bank account. Now Yeah, I, I, it really, really bothers me you know, even if it's only for a day or two and we dip in, like I'm my own overdraft. (laughs) If I see, if I see four figures in the account, I'm like, Oh, we're broke. (laughs) My wife's like, I don't know what your problem is. I'm like, you don't understand.
1: You're like, this is not happening. Yeah. It's the wrong
0: trajectory for that bank account to be at. (laughs) Oh,
1: that's, that's awesome. And I mean, just your journey. I mean, thank you. I just, I, I just can't get over it. I just can't get over it. You are super inspiring. Truly you are, Tyler. And like, it's just amazing to see how far you've come from that too. And it's like, and it's like this Hollywood guys too, because I can't tell you like how many people like that I know that are looking to get into the industry or like acting or, you know, I was, I was at Hollywood in Hollywood at some, at one point, like just like networking out there. Cause I knew I wanted to do things of influence someday and I didn't really know what that route looked like right now I kind of found my way through the through the podcast and stuff and so that's growing but it's just really interesting because there's like this whole mirage of like if you're an actor and like you're doing gigs like you said it's like you're living the dream and it you know it just at the end of the day it could just look like smoke and mirrors right yeah like, blah, which is which is crazy and so when you shifted out of acting because you had mentioned that you transitioned out what was kind of the next the next move for you
0: Go back to school. Yeah, everybody, everybody told me you need. I needed to have a real job, and there was a about a five year period of my life where I believed that. You know, and a real job being that nine to five, working for somebody else, punching a clock, all the things that even when I say it right now makes my soul cry. I started to believe it. You know, like I said, I'd, I'd had that scare in around uh, two thousand two, two thousand three, where I could see where an inconsistent form of income. Had its detriments, and there was an appeal to a steady trickle of income, and you know part of that was upgrading my education because at that point I only had a, a high school diploma, and so and I and I had a nice chunk of money, you know, two thousand from two thousand three to two thousand four was a very good. If you ever look up my IMDb, you can see like those were those were my years where I was on top, you know, so I had a really nice padded bank account and, you know, I wanted to invest in myself. So I went back and went to school and got me edumacated (laughs) and uh, finished up that started my own company. That company failed miserably, but it got me even more edumacated on what to do and dabbled again after that failure with the stability of working for somebody else and in 2015 the whole world shifted for me so my wife and i built our dream home together got pregnant and within so we took possession of our dream home in september uh, got pregnant in november and i was laid off for the last time in february 5th, 2015 in that year, because, you know, my wife and I went from making multiple six figures to making less than uh, $20,000 in 2015, because I was laid off and she was on mat leave and you can't go from six figure income to, you know, what ended up being uh, like 10%. It's just too much on, on the budget. So we lost the dream home, but we got the daughter. And I vowed at that point that I, again, I was like, I'm not letting other people control my destiny. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the reliability of a nine to five paycheck because they can pull my job. I can't fire myself. Right. So what do I do so that I'm in control of my own destiny? And at that point I started total buy-in and that company has been thriving now for, uh, what, seven years it'll be the anniversary of total buy-in or was the anniversary of total buy-in in in February. So I'm just lucky and blessed to continually have those lessons that guide you, right? Like, yeah, it sucked losing the house, but I'll tell you, (laughs) it's given me a drive and the new house is even better. So, and you know, we're able to provide for Kenzie in a way that I don't think we would have been able to, if I'd have stuck working for somebody else and punching a clock. You know, if I need to pay for a thing now, I literally go, okay, school is going to cost 40,000 this year. How do I make 40K? Mm-hmm. And we just break it down. And then I go and I make that. And, okay, okay, I want to have new goalie gear. And I do want to have new goalie gear because I love me playing my hockey. <laughs> uh, new goalie gears, I went and I had it priced out 6,500 bucks. I was like, okay, so how do we make that? Right. That's one coaching client for me. Okay. So I reach out to my team and I go, okay. We need to onboard somebody in the next week because Tyler wants to go play hockey and I'm tired of feeling the pucks. So we onboard a uh, private coaching client. I go get my hockey gear. (laughs) Like I love that freedom. Now it isn't always that easy. There have been times where I have really, really struggled, especially in the last two years. I mean, I make my living right now doing live events. I can't do live events. (laughs) But to be able to do some uh, virtual coaching, to be able to still show up virtually, do these kind of things. I don't need to be anywhere to sell books. The books sell themselves, you know. It's yeah. and it's nice to be able to say that I'm a number one best-selling author. Like that feels cool. That's fun. Yeah, you know?
1: tell us about that.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I have been very lucky to have been doing what I've been doing, and everybody asked me how I do it, and instead of saying the same advice over and over and over again, or saying the same thing in seminars over and over and over again, I just recorded myself saying the things that I say over and over and over again. And we transcribed that and it got into a book and I'm lucky that people like the book power to speak naked, probably because of the title. And if it isn't the title it's because of the cover, right? Cause everybody looks at that and they're like, ah, it's a good cover. Got to grab that. So I've been really, I don't know, just, I, I lucked into it. I'll be really honest. I lucked into it. I don't, every time I see that number one bestseller, it makes me giggle because I don't even know what it means. You know, like, yeah, you made number one on a list somewhere and you get to be, you know, you get to stick that on your book. I'm impressed that anybody ever reads it. To be really honest, I'm like, and it's funny. I was playing today. I was playing hockey today. And one of the organizers had bought my book and we were warming up on the ice and uh they were we were just you know i'd done the warm-up i'd done the laps i'd taken some practice shots i was re-sorting myself out you know i had my mask up on my head i had my gloves off i was getting the water i was having a drink and al who is the organizer skated up to me he's like yeah so i'm halfway through your book i'm like oh yeah he's like i'm loving it i bought another copy gave it to my son colin i'm like oh yeah he's like, he can really use it. And it's, it's funny, you know, you know, and he's, he's going on and he's talking about it. I'm like, and inside I'm beaming. Right. Like I'm just glowing because if somebody read my book. <laughs> I wouldn't read my book probably because I spoke my book and I know everything in it. So I'm like, Oh yeah, it's boring. It's boring. It's boring. But I'm, I'm always so in awe and I'm always so grateful that anybody bought my book, let alone enough people to make a number one best-selling author out of me. And just to be able to stick that as a moniker is always, that's just cool.
1: That is so cool. My gosh, that's incredible, Tyler. And so like now, what are you up to in your world in the next like six to 12 months? What's happening?
0: We're trying to get back to normal and my normal being live events and, uh, you know, the world being in flux the way that it is. And live events being welcomed and shamed all at the same time. We've had to push, like I was, I was supposed to be in Dallas last week. And that got postponed from being postponed from the summer as well. And now we're looking like it won't be until March or April. I do have an event in Florida that uh, when we are done our call, I will be getting on the call with the team. And uh, doing the initial strategizing for that. And we're locking down the venue this week. So that's exciting that, uh, you know, March will be in Florida and we'll finally get uh, a power of a power to speak naked event back out to the public because I've missed it. The last time I did one was would have been November or October of 2019. So it's two years ago now since the last time we did the two and a half day training seminar and I miss it. I miss the people, you know, and I miss hearing the stories. Like one of the great things about being on the underdog podcast is I get to tell my story. Right. And you get to hear all of these stories, Pam. And I think that's fantastic. But for me, that's where I get the joy is training people how to be really good public speakers. You know, I have 36 years of industry experience being on stage and entertaining people and being a performer and to be able to see people go from, you know, right. 77% of the world, apparently it has some form of anxiety around public speaking and to see people go from their tight, tight shell. And I'm terrified. I can't even do it. And all oh, my story doesn't matter. Nobody would want to hear me. I don't even know what a story would be. I don't even know how to tell these. I don't, how don't, I can't do it the way that you can. And in two and a half days, see these people walk across the stage and just crush it. Oh, man. And the stories that you hear, the stories that you hear that just make your soul sing and weep and burst with laughter and with sorrow. Like, just, I just, it's what I live for. And I can't just, I am so waiting for the opportunity to do it again because I would love to see the event in Florida sell out. If we could get all 300 parts in the seats, that would be amazing for me. And if we can replicate that so that all 10 events, if we can get, first of all, back to doing 10 events a year, that's going to make me happy. And if we can fill the 10, and if we can touch 3000 lives a year again, and get that back up and rolling so that people can get their stories out. Oh, that's the next 18 months, Pam. And I'm Oh, I'm jonesing for it. I'm excited.
1: Oh my god, that's awesome! I love, I love to hear your passion in the work that you do too. I mean, I can feel it. I can sense it. I can see it. It's really incredible, Tyler. You're an absolute rock star, man. Such a rock star, and not like the world needs to know where to find you so that they can connect with you and hopefully get in all those seats at all your yeah. awesome events and just hear all about you because it looks like it's coming back soon. So everyone's got to be ready for
0: you. Well. Pamela, if I may get formal, yeah, I will tell them, but I would ask that they do me a favor first. And that is if they're enjoying coming on and listening to your show, if they're a regular downloader of the underdog podcast, if they are finding value, right. If they're finding inspiration, right. Like you're doing this so that people can know that yeah, we're all underdogs at some points, but we're also always, we're going to be a champion at some point too, yeah. right? And that the journey is part of the, the great joy of doing it. You know, my story sounds fantastic because I was at rock bottom. If I hadn't been at rock bottom, the story wouldn't be fantastic. You need the rock bottom, but you also need to hit the heights. And so if they're finding that inspiration, each time they download your show and they listen to the guests that you bring on week after week after week, because I know it's not easy doing what you do. I want them to hit pause right now on whatever device and whatever platform they're listening to and give you a five-star review and leave a comment. Tell you what episode had the most impact on them. What guest did they love to hear that they'd love to have come back on? Give you some feedback so that you can tailor this to your audience so that, they, that you can do better for them. But they can only you can only find out if they comment and give you the five-star review. So give a five-star review leave a comment. And if they've done all that and they want to know more about me, by all means, go over to Sean Tyler Foley.com And that is spelled the proper Irish way S E A N T Y L E R F O L E Y.com. And we'll have our calendar up there. We have all my social medias there. If anybody is interested, I run a free group on Facebook that for aspiring and professional speakers to learn more about the craft Uh, it's free to join. And all that information is on the website or they can go to endless stages, uh, search that on Facebook and I'm more than happy to just pour my heart into that community. I, we run a live training every Tuesday for 20 minutes where I give you everything. I don't hold back. If you want to know, you ask the question and I unload 36 years of industry experience so that you can learn to be the best public speaker that you can. So the website, Sean if they want to search endless stages, they can get it there, or they can just jump on Facebook and look for endless stages. And uh, that's the best way to reach me.
1: You are amazing. Thank you so, so much for being here today, my friend. I appreciate you tremendously. And just thank you for the impact that you're creating on this world, your positive energy and the lives that you're changing. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: The only dream that I've been chasing is my own.
1: So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.